Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3 as we continue in our series through the Acts of the Apostles this morning. Acts chapter 3 starting in verse 1. I grew up uh, three hours away from New Orleans, which means that the first big city that I remember visiting was, was New Orleans. It was a, a three-hour trip where my mom could load up me and my two younger brothers, and that was the biggest zoo that was closest to us. I and mean, we had a zoo in my hometown, but not like the New Orleans Zoo. There was an aquarium, the IMAX, and so that was a, a destination where some of my first memories of what a big city might be like were there in New Orleans at four, five, six years old. I remember one time going into the French Quarter and a very popular tourist area there where you'd walk into St. Louis's Cathedral. And it was the first time that I have an indelible impression of someone who was perceivably homeless, stationed right there in front of, of this religious attraction, this place of worship, but also a place where a lot of passerbyers, a lot of tourists would come through. This individual set up in such a way that hopefully the, the gaze of many tourists would, would fall upon him and the charity and generosity would spill over to him. I am sure that there were others that I had encountered before then, but that image is an image that continues to, to sort of be impressed upon my mind. It's not the last time all of us can think of pulling up to a red light and seeing individuals with signs asking for your generosity walking into a store, visiting other cities or parts of even our own city in the metro Birmingham area, and having to make decisions. What's the wisest way that I can be generous? What's the best stewardship of opportunity that I have? And not every time that you pass by that opportunity is the time that you stop. That's not the case. And not every time you see, should it be a time that all the money that you have, you give to that person. That's not the wisest course of action. But I think of that encounter years and years ago in New Orleans as an encounter that's not that far away from our text this morning. Is the text that meets human desperation. It meets the calling of God upon our lives and the spirit of God that is empowering. It is a, it is a story that was, is, is relevant even today, 2,000 years later. It's the word of the Lord that we hear of a transformative miracle that led to a transformative message. Would you hear verse 1 and following? Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple 
asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John are making their way into the temple for the daily fixed hours of prayer. This is the ninth hour, which is three o'clock, the Jewish practice of the day, which the early apostles did not abandon at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus was to come into the temple for fixed hours of prayer at nine o'clock, at three o'clock, and also at sundown. And so here they're doing what they had done hundreds of times before coming into the temple for prayer. It's important for you to know they didn't abandon the practice, but they filled the practice with a meaning that was completely different after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus here. And on their way, doing something that no doubt they had done hundreds of times before, they see a beggar who is sitting there before the gate called Beautiful. And he's not simply out and down on his luck. He's not simply lazy and unwilling to work. Luke, the physician, the author of the Acts of the Apostles, he gives us a really careful and intricate description of this, this person who is begging for help. He's crippled, lame from birth. We know his age from one chapter over in chapter 4, verse 22. He's 40 years old here. So just think about this for a moment. All of his life and all of his livelihood is dependent upon the generosity of family, generosity of friends that day in and day out lay him before the beautiful gate, hoping that the gaze of those who are coming in for these fixed hours of prayers would fix upon him and the generosity of these individuals would spill over to him. Now, the beautiful gate we know from the ancient Jewish historian Josephus was a sight to behold. I mean, it's 75 feet high, 60 feet wide. It was, it was overlaid with this elaborate and expensive bronze covering. And I hope you can just see the contrast here. Do you see this lame man before this opulent gate here? This invalid who is begging every day with, with this, this bronze overlay behind him and this huge portrait of sort of religious establishment that is before him and behind him. And every day we can imagine hundreds of people walking right past him. Hundreds of people never seeing him. Hundreds of times he becomes like the furniture in your living room. You begin to not notice it. And this is what this man had become here until verse 4. And in verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him. And John saw him. They slowed down. They slowed down at a question that I'm sure that he had asked thousands of times. I don't know what the question was, but maybe it was something like this. Sir, can you spare any change? And he had heard the reply no so many times. He had been ignored so many times. But I tell you this, he never heard this reply before. Verse 6 Peter says in one of the most beautiful passages in all of the book of Acts, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And you can imagine the inner monologue that this invalid man is having with himself. I mean, he's got 40 years of experience that that kind of talk is just foolish talk. He's got 40 years of being carried by his friends and laid here. He knows he cannot get up and walk. Is this some kind of cruel joke? 
Is this man just sort of uh, kniving it in his condition before him? Is this man in this moment sort of uh, raising him and, and sort of making fun of him in this moment here? Peter reaches down and he pulls him up with his right hand. And you see in the text, he instantly, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, he immediately, his feet and his ankles are made strong. Now Luke is a physician. Feet and ankles that you see in the English translation of your Bible here, they're the only time that these two Greek words are used here. They're intricate parts of the feet and ankles that Luke is describing. Luke is giving us the specificity of this man's ailment here, but he's also giving us the specificity of the way God is working this miracle. And in verse 8, he leapt up, he, he le- leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And you can imagine, can't you? Can't you see this? That the first step that he takes is a tad bit tentative. Can't you imagine that he's not sturdy? Can you imagine Peter's still trying to hold him there, embrace him there? And he takes one step and then he takes another step. And you can imagine him saying to himself, I cannot believe this. I'm actually walking. And again, we have this flurry of descriptions here. He's not only walking, but he's walking. He's not only walking, but he's leaping. He's not only leaping, that he's praising God. As he steps into the temple terrace, and all of the passerbyers who had seen him day in and day out, day in and day out, see him and say, we know that guy. But that's not how we remember him. I hope you feel the power of this scene. I hope you feel the miracle that is before us. He's carried every day of his life. And now he's dancing. For every day of his life, he was laid before a passing crowd. Now he's leading that crowd into the temple, praising God. And it's because of one momentary chance encounter. But maybe chance isn't the best word. One momentary providential encounter that Peter has with him. And as the text tells us, Peter gazes at him. Peter didn't walk past him. John didn't say to Peter, don't make eye contact, Peter. Keep on walking. Don't look. Don't slow down. Peter slows down. John slows down. And they gaze at him. They saw this man and they had compassion on him. Boy, this is a really good reminder, isn't it? Do do you feel where this text is going in your own life? Do you feel the invitation that is before us that every day there, there are divine opportunities that God providentially places before us? And if we would slow down to turn our gaze away from ourselves and to stare into the eyes of those that are before us, we might be able to see God work miracles in our own lives. One of the signs of the Spirit dwelling in us is a sensitivity to the people that we encounter every day. One of the signs of the Spirit of God, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God descends upon the apostles, and now the Spirit of God is leading them to, to do something that is far beyond them, and I know, I know it's easy for us to, to say to ourselves, well, we're so we're so hurried. I mean, I feel that. That's sort of my disposition. That's my personality by nature. Only so many weeks that we have in this world. There are only so many days that you have. There's only so many hours that you have. So we rush and we rush and worship. We're always in a hurry. 
from one meeting to the next meeting to one practice to the next practice, one appointment to the next appointment. And the days kind of go by slow, but the years, they flow by us so fast. We rush, we rush, we rush, and we rush. And in the moment, we miss the people around us. The chance encounters, the providential encounters for a conversation with someone. I don't know if you've ever had one of these kinds of conversations before. I don't know if it was ever in an airport or in a restaurant, maybe in the dry cleaner's place. Then maybe, maybe, I don't know where it was, but have you ever had that time where you, you have this sort of chance encounter with someone and you leave that two-minute conversation or five-minute conversation or 30-minute conversation and there's just something different about that conversation and you might try to come up with words to describe it and you might say, it was just like he saw me. It was just like he knew me. It just... He, she saw me. She understood me. She slowed down. There's a journalist by the name of David Brooks who has a book now, How to Know People. It's not a book that, that is explicitly written from a religious perspective, but it is a deeply spiritual book. It's a book I read this past week and was deeply convicted and deeply moved by, by this op-ed journalist, David Brooks's really classification of what resides in both of us. He, he talks about how, how every day we have the opportunity to be one of two types of people here. And he says that, that our lives at times are lives of, of, of illuminators or our lives are lives of diminishers. Well, if the Spirit of God shines through us and the brightness of God lives through us, then when we encounter people, I mean, surprise, surprise, we can be kinds, the kinds of people that make other people feel bigger and deeper and they respond and feel respected and they, and they light up. I mean, are we that kind of people? Am, am I praying that I would be an illuminator to people that I, that I know and that I love in my own home, the people that I have and women and men that I have the privilege to serve alongside of and, and the hundreds of people that, that call Dawson home? Or are we going to be people that are diminishers? I mean, we can think about easily what a diminisher means. A diminisher in Brooks's book talks about how diminishers are so into themselves, so navel-gazing, so preoccupied that they often make people feel insignificant. And we all have been a diminisher, and we've all been a recipient of an illuminator. And I prayed this week, even as I was reading that book, and I, I was seeing into the gaze of Peter and John here, that these are, these are illuminators, that the Spirit of God is shining through them. And they saw this man not first and foremost as a beggar. They saw this man not first and foremost as an invalid. They saw this man as a creature of God, one who is created in the Imago Dei, the very image of God. And every opportunity that we have every day, as we rub shoulders with people, is the potential of this, this divine encounter with, with one who is shaped and created in the image of God. And as you look into the eyes of those that you slow down and see, there's a story, a history, their joys and their hurts. If we would just slow down, that might be one of the greatest miracles of our day and age. The ability to not be in such a rush. Now, I am not saying that the Spirit of God is going to lead you to touch someone on the shoulder and mend broken limbs. That's not what I'm saying in this passage. What I am saying is there is a miracle that God would give you through your touch. 
And this miracle this very week might be the the touch of encouragement that you give to someone as you have eyes to see the needs that are around you or the touch to be able to have the Spirit of God in you that gives you the kindness to stop and to listen to someone, the kindness to sit with someone in their need. The miracle of not trying to fix someone, not trying to solve someone's problem, but the the ability to be with someone in their hurt and to be with someone in their pain, to be with someone in their confusion and to allow them the space to breathe in the gift of your intentional prayer for them. My friends, these are miraculous acts that the Spirit of God desires to birth in and through you to the people that you come in contact with. This is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control that is Well, it's otherworldly. It is God breaking in through you, touching. Now, you're not going to walk into a temple. I know that. You're not walking into a temple, but you're going to walk into a school this week. You're not going to walk into a temple, but you're going to walk into your home this week. I know you're not going to walk into a temple, but you're going to walk into your workplace this week. I know you're not going to walk into the temple, but you're going to be walking in your neighborhood this week. And maybe those chance encounters this week are not Well, they're not chance encounters, but maybe they're flooded with the providential gift of God to be an illuminator as the Spirit of God shines in you and you see someone. Notice it's a transformative miracle in our passage, but it's not just a transformative miracle. Peter has this miracle that flows through him and ultimately leads him to have a platform for a transformative message Verse 11, read along with me in your copy of God's word. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. My friends, this is not a seeker-sensitive sermon right here. This is not a cotton candy sermon. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, verse 19, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is a miracle that leads to a message. The miracle is a platform. The miracle is a platform to attest to the power of God in this very moment. And Peter sees this and he knows this. And he's got the attentive ears and eyes of all the religious leaders who hundreds of times before had passed by this man. And now he says, listen. And he preaches a message that is is dripping with Jesus. 
It is the message that the chorus is Jesus. The refrain is Jesus. The thesis is Jesus. He tells them that all that your own scriptures point to is fulfilled in Jesus. And you have the opportunity to turn. You have the opportunity to repent. But before he does that, there's an introduction to the sermon. And that introduction is found in verse 12. He's got to clear some ground. Because you notice what what Peter doesn't do in this message here. He doesn't say, here I am, healer extraordinaire. Here I am. Anybody else? Anybody else have any ailments? Anybody else sick? Anybody else have any broken bones here? Anybody else invalid? How about you line up here and I'm going to lay hands on you? He doesn't do that. He, He does the opposite of that. He says, just in case anybody gets the wrong idea, this healing does not come because me, Peter, and my compadre here, John, the other disciple, we're not bringing with us, we're not bringing with us this inherent power. This isn't about me. This isn't about John. This is about, well, verse 16 is what it's about. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of y'all. You see what Peter is doing? He's saying the secret to this man's healing is faith in the name of Jesus. Now, in the Bible, a name isn't just a designation. It isn't just a way to distinguish one person from another person. I'm David. That's John. You can distinguish us but through our names. No, a name in the Bible is the essence of a person. It's the character of a person. It's the totality of the person. It's one of the reasons we pray in the name of Jesus. We are praying in the totality of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. So here's Peter saying, this man has been healed because of faith in the totality of Jesus, the essence of Jesus, the character of Jesus. His healing is all about Jesus, not about me, not about him. It's about Jesus and the power of Jesus. This is the secret This is the fuel for the journey that all of us as Christians experience. There are obstacles in your life and there are obstacles in my life. There are obstacles that are before us in our culture, in our church. And the way that we are empowered to face those challenges, those twists, those turns in our individual lives, our family lives, and our church's lives are through the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Now, I know I can see it in your eyes here. I know that some of you want to raise your hand right now and say, beautiful story, powerful story, but, but I've got some questions. And it's rightfully so that you have some questions because we're going to be walking through the book of Acts and we're going to have these miraculous encounters throughout the book of Acts. And you've wanted to raise your hand maybe for decades and ask a question. I think it's an important question, which is, hey, does God still work in this kind of way? What's preventing God from working in this kind of way? And I, I can see it because I feel it. I feel skeptical about this healing talk. Don't, don't you? I'm old enough, and many of you are old enough to remember that early 90s Steve Martin movie, Leap of Faith. And there are times where all of these kinds of stories, we believe, hey, they're true in the Bible. I don't doubt the veracity of these stories. But any time that we hear these stories in our modern accounts, we, we sort of have an eyebrow that raises and a little bit of skepticism. Because we think that, that all of this talk is nothing more than sort of a Steve Martin character. This is a phony faith healer. 
don't forget. Don't, don't forget that the Bible describes God as a healing God. And there's nothing within the Bible that says that God still will not work miracles in his people in a particular moment for his own purposes. Now, of course, in our day and age, in the 21st century, one of the primary ways that he does this is through the faithful prayers of followers of Christ. The faithful prayers of followers of Christ coupled with really good medical care. The, the great physician using human physicians, women and men, the medicinal advancements that we have. But these things, they don't compete against each other. All healing comes from God. And so this is one of the reasons that many of you were a part of life groups in this previous hour. And one of the things that you did in the life groups is you studied the Word of God. But another thing that you did is you prayed. First meeting I have early on Sunday mornings with our staff, and we're praying. We're praying for some of the physical needs, some of the diagnoses, and some of the challenges and the sicknesses in our body here. And we're praying for the healing of God to be upon those individuals. But we don't pit the healing of God away from medical advancements and the great physician using human physicians here. So we pray because God invites us to pray. John, James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 reads, Is anyone among you sick? And the answer to that is, is, is always a yes. Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, oil represents the Spirit of God. But you know what oil also represents? Well, oil was used 2,000 years ago, and in, in some cases today, as, as a medicinal advancement here. So, so what James is saying here is pray, but also don't, don't be weary of, of using the, the common graces that God gives us in our society to promote healing and, and the ability for us to, to be able to put two feet in front of the others. But we do that as we pray, remembering that God is not a genie in the bottle. And this is where it gets confusing to us because sometimes when we pray, God says, yes, right now, right here on earth. And sometimes all of us that are in this room have prayed for the healing of someone that we love, and God answers that with, with a beloved follower of Jesus with yes, but not here on earth. And heavenly healing is a healing that is the ultimate healing, is it not? And sometimes God answers our prayers for healing, and we're asking him to heal on earth, and he heals in heaven, and every sickness is wiped away, and every ailment is relieved and every disease forevermore becomes doxology, all in the name and the power of Jesus. And why God chooses to heal some, some, some that we love and some that we care for and some that, that we know and some that are our friends and some that are our family members and our co-workers, and why God in his sovereignty sometimes says, yes, and right here on earth, and why sometimes he says, yes, but, but not here on earth, but rather in heaven, I, I don't know the answer. We need, to, we need to dust off a word that should be close to all of our hearts. That, my friends, is a mystery. God tells us everything that we need to know for the living of faith, but he doesn't tell us everything that we're curious to know. But I tell you what the answer isn't. It isn't. Because some people, as opposed to others, have a secret code of prayer. The answer isn't because some people have the right formula. And they figured it out, just the right words, say just in the right way, so that when they pray, God must answer their prayer in their time and in their way. I'll tell you another reason why 
God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we think he should. I tell you, another reason that he doesn't isn't because we can have a 1 out of 10 faith or a 10 out of 10 faith. And if we just had more faith, then God has to answer our prayer. It's, it's like if we have a 1 out of 10 faith, God would never answer our prayers. But if we have a 5 out of 10 faith, then it's sort of 50-50 right here. We can just uh, toss up the coin here. But if you can get to 8 or 9 or a 10 out of 10 faith, then you can twist God's arm behind his back, back and he has to answer your prayer just as you want him to, when you want to, when you want him to, and how you want him to. Do you know what that would mean? It would mean the opposite of what Peter is saying here. It isn't because Peter has a 10 out of 10 faith. His faith is in Jesus. And it isn't that we have to muster up more faith because if it was totally dependent upon the strength of our faith, then healing would be upon us and our power. But it's not upon our power. It's upon the power of Jesus. Good example of this, a good case study is the Apostle Paul. Do you remember? He is praying to God to take away this ailment. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember what it was? The answer is we don't know. I mean, some scholars, they speculate that it was chronic migraines. Others say it was poor eyesight. I think maybe that could, if you had to pin me down, I probably would say based upon some of the ways he's writing, especially in the book of Galatians, that it might have been a, a, a failing eyesight. I don't know. Some say malaria, some say a specific temptation. We don't know the answer to this, but this we do know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that through, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is just a good reminder to us that we can bring all of our ailments to God and we can trust God to heal, but we can also trust God that he has our best in mind. These kinds of passages encourage us to pray without failing, to encourage us to pray without hesitation. There is no diagnosis that is so dire to give us pause to ask God for the miracle of healing. And also, we need to be open that that miracle comes through the great physician using human physicians and medicine and treatments and other times, and you know this, don't you? Other times, they are no explanations or, or we can't quite connect the explanations. And I hope, I hope we won't get to the place because it's really tempting for us, especially in 2024, it's really tempting for us to be skeptical of the supernatural. It's really tempting for us to say, if I can't touch it and I can't explain it, it must not be real. But the book of Acts will always, always lead us to trust in a God that is bigger than our own understanding. To trust in a God that still is wholly other and is still mysterious and still works in mysterious ways. Peter saw this and it became a platform. And it becomes a platform for the power of Jesus to go out and to be proclaimed to all that see this miracle. To trust in Jesus and to repent of your sins. Now the question is, have you ever experienced this kind of transformative miracle? And I think the answer to this is yes, you have. Oh, of course, it's not quite as dramatic as this here. But you've seen God in the midst of a raging water of doubt and grief and loss. 
give you the miracle of a peace that passes all understanding. You know what it is for God to break in in the midst of, of friendships that are on the rocks and friendships that are, that are alienated from one another and to restore that over a period of time. You've seen God provide you encouragement just in the right time through that call, through that text, through that note, through that conversation here. Did, did God show that to you in the clouds? The answer is no. Did God from heaven send you a text message? The answer is no. You know how he intervened in your life. It was through, well, it was through ordinary people using ordinary words in ordinary times of life. It's through spirit-filled Christians walking through life, slowing down, seeing needs around them, and with their words and their hugs. So my question is, church, do we have eyes to see and do we have the faith to believe that God can still and is still working? Amen. Let us pray.